If it is your first time here, my name is John. Uh, I'm the lead pastor, and we are just right in the middle of this three-part series that we're just calling Ron. And we're having an honest conversation about what it looks like to run from God in our lives. And we've been talking about this guy named Jonah. Now, Jonah, in my opinion, is the epitome of someone who ran from God. And Jonah has one of the more famous stories inside of the Bible. It's famous because there's a section inside of his story that is, if I'm being honest with you, very difficult to believe. And if you're unfamiliar with this story, it's known as Jonah in the whale. And at one point in his life, he is swallowed whole, alive by a whale. And he's alive for three days and three nights. And last week we talked about this. We talked about that there are some people that believe this is 100% true. This is historical. This happened. There are others that kind of sort of hold their nose and say, okay, I believe it. And there are some that say, I don't really think that happened. Maybe it's more of a parable or maybe it's more of an allegory. And we had a long conversation about how to understand this. And if you're interested in learning more about that conversation, if you weren't here, you can go online, soflowchurch.com, go to iTunes, and you can listen to it. But we landed on the idea that it can actually be historic and allegoric at the same time. But wherever you land, this story at its core is about a man who ran from God. And that makes his story our story. Because, as we said, everyone is a runner at some level. Every single one of us at some level, in some aspect, at some point in our lives, maybe even for your entire life, I believe that we all, in many ways, run from God. And we kind of went through a list last week, and because a lot of you weren't here, I want to do that list again just to remind you. But for some of us, we may have sort of decided that we're going to turn down the volume of our conscience and just say, you know what, I'm just going to tell myself that there is no God. This is, this is, this is, I'm, I'm, since there's no God, I'm going to tell people there's no God. This is how I'm going to live my life, just so I don't have to think about all this kind of a thing. But you know, when you're at home, when you're by yourself, and your head's on your pillow, and your heart of heart, you know. I mean, come on. You know. He still exists. Some of us have decided that we're just going to adjust our theology. That, you know, we're Christians, and, and we believe that the Bible is the word of God, but we're interested in getting involved in some stuff. You know, some behaviors and some activities or some lifestyle. And, and we know that the scripture says that we shouldn't do those things. So we just tweak our theology just a little bit, just enough so we can do whatever it is that we want to do. Or maybe you would say about yourself that you turn your back on God. We see this a lot at this church, folks who, who've had a bad experience. Primarily, maybe, maybe you had a bad experience with church. You got burned by church. You got burned by a group of Christians and said, you know what, I, I'm not interested. And you just walked away. Or lastly, maybe you never turned your back. Maybe, maybe you're a Christian. You go to church every week. You read the Bible. But for you, it's really just about that one issue. God, keep your hands off that one issue in my life. I don't want to hear what you have to say about this little thing that I'm dealing with. And wherever you fall on this very broad spectrum, the uncomfortable truth is that we're all runners. So let me just say something. Um, after church last week, uh, when I got home, my wife Jacqueline and I were just having some lunch or whatever, and she's like, you know, you said something interesting at church today. I said, oh, please, enlighten me. She goes, it was interesting that you said that everyone is a runner. How are you running? <laughs> okay, I was in like the hot seat all of a sudden. I go, all right, and, and we had a conversation about ways in which I thought I was running, ways in which she thought she was running. And we landed on this, this idea that we had not discussed at church. And she goes, you know, 
it might be smart to tell the folks next week what we've kind of landed on here. She goes, I think some people would appreciate this. So here's kind of the postscript that the Grippa family had landed on at lunch last week, and it's this. Don't fool yourself into thinking that in order to run from God, it has to be some grand display of disobedience. That's what Jonah did. Some of the things that I put on here, these are sort of chapter headings of big things that we might do. But you can run from God in the smallest of ways. It can be an attitude. It can be in your thought life. It might be simply the fact that you have drifted from going to church because you're just more interested in your personal life than your spiritual life anymore. And I believe that it is even more difficult to surrender these small things and perhaps some of the larger issues that we deal with. So I want to recap last week for those of you who weren't here, and I want to do it by taking a look at this map because people said this map was very helpful. So, so here's what happened last week. Jonah, who is a prophet, lives in Israel, which is right about here. And God goes to Jonah and says, Jonah, here's the deal. I need you to go about 500 miles over to the city of Nineveh, and I need you to give them a message for me. Will you do that? And Jonah says, no, I'm not going to do that. There was no large theological discussion. There was no argument. Jonah just looked at him and goes, mm, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And I was thinking, isn't this really the case for so many of us? I mean, how many times have you opened up the Bible and you read it and you saw the wisdom and you just go, yep, not going to do that. Or you come to church and you, you hear a sermon and you go, yeah, not going to do that. Or your parents, they give you some great advice, but what do they know? Yeah, I'm not going to do that. And that's what Jonah said. God Hard pass. Not going to do what you want me to do. So he goes south 50 miles. He heads to the port of Joppa. He gets on a boat and he travels 2,500 miles in the opposite direction of where God wants him to go. And as he was running away from God, he ran right into a principle that I think we need to land on today and just have a conversation about. What Jonah learned on that trip is that God is generous in his grace, but thorough in his discipline. And there's a tension exists here. We don't really like this because we want God to be all grace. We don't we? I mean, I get that. We just want God to be overflowing with grace at all times, in all ways. That's it. But there's a problem. And the problem is that Scripture says that God is love. Scripture says that God thinks of us as his children, that he loves us like his children. And as you parents in the room know, there are times in life when you need to discipline your children to get them back in line, to get them headed in the right direction. And Jonah in this story was a beneficiary, if you will, of God's discipline. But he learned something. He learned that God chased him down not to pay him back, but to win him back. That God specifically sent storms into his life not to punish him for disobeying him, not to punish him because he said no to going to Nineveh, but to win him back and to bring him back. So if you remember last week we left off, Jonah had just been swallowed by the whale. Let me show you so you have it in your own mind as to what happened. It says this. Now, the Lord had arranged for a great fish, that's the whale, to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside this fish for three days and three nights. And this is the offending verse, if you will, that some people believe, some people don't believe. And as we talked about last week, there is great theological significance to the fact that it was three days and three nights. In fact, Jesus himself in the book of Matthew refers to this passage and actually says that those three days that Jonah spent in that whale relate to his time 
in the grave. So while he's in that whale, it says this, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. And what happens in the rest of Jonah chapter 2, the best way that I can describe it, is it's basically a journal entry. This whole thing has ended, and now Jonah at the end, I don't know how old he is, he's looking back in his life, and he's recounting his experience through this whole running situation. And in Jonah chapter 2, specifically what he's doing is he's recounting the prayer that he made while he was inside of that whale. And what you're going to see is a prayer that's made by a man who is at the end of his rope. It's a prayer that's made from a man who has reached um, the boiling point in his life. He just can't take it anymore. He can't take the storms anymore. He can't take the chaos anymore. And he just throws his hands up. He waves the white flag and he goes, I surrender. I surrender. And he looks back at God. Now, I don't know where you are in your own life, what your journey looks like, what you're going through, but some of you may see yourself inside of this prayer. He starts off by saying this, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble. I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble. Isn't it true that for some of you, the first time you prayed in a long time was during your time of great trouble? You might have been staring at a pregnancy test. You may have been in the back of a cop car, the bottom of a bottle. You may have been looking at your phone, getting ready to call your wife and confess something before she found out. You may be driving home to go talk to your husband and confess something that you were afraid that he had already discovered. And no matter what you convinced yourself about God beforehand, no matter how much you adjusted your theology, no matter, no matter how much issues were in your life, little issues that you told God not to touch, that when you were broken and busted and there was nowhere else to run, you cried out to the Lord. Jonah says, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble and he answered me. He emphasizes this a second time. He says it in a different way. He says, I called out from the land of the dead, and you heard me. He's painting this picture that he has created these decisions in his life, this wreckage in his life that has brought him so far from the Lord that he's almost in the land of the dead. I mean, honestly, he's inside of a whale. He's in a place where he should actually, literally be dead. And what he says is that I am not so far that you didn't hear me. And what this shows me is that God listens to the desperate cries of desperate people who are in desperate circumstances of their own creation. And this is the Old Testament. We're not talking about Jesus Christ here. We're talking 750 years before Jesus was even born. We're talking the God of the Old Testament, the God that we often say is some bloodthirsty, ruthless tyrant. And yet he responds to this man in the darkest part of his life with love and compassion and grace. And I believe that so many of us are afraid to go back to God because we look at our life, we look at the decisions we've made, we look at the wreckage that we've left behind, and we go, how do I go back to him? Maybe you would ask for forgiveness once before, and then you screwed up again in the exact same way, and you, it's too embarrassing. I can't go back to church. I can't go back to God. But this account lets me know that God listens to desperate people calling out from the mess that they have created. And when I look at Jonah's prayer, 
and I look at God's response, it's very clear to me that God offers every single one of us a moment-by-moment, minute-by-minute invitation that regardless of how far you've run, regardless of the mess that you have created in your own life, He is inviting you to surrender your will, your life, and that mess you created back to Him. Prayer continues. You, God, threw me into the ocean. And it's strange because didn't the sailors throw him into the ocean? You, God, threw me into the ocean depths. And I sank down to the heart of the sea. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. You see, in this moment, Jonah sees God's fingerprints all over the whale, all over the storm. Last week, we talked about the fact that runners are often the last to see the connection between their decision to run from God and the chaos that's now happening in their life. Well, that's not the case anymore for Jonah. The pieces of the puzzle have come together. It's very clear to Jonah in this moment that God has orchestrated all of this specifically for him. Yet, I will once more look toward your holy temple. He's waving the white flag. That's it. He's done. He's looking back to God. Now, as I said, Jonah wrote this after the fact. He's looking back on his life as to what happened. So you read this, and the question that I was wondering, and I'll ask you too, at what point do you think Jonah repented? You think it was like, on the, like the morning of the second day inside that whale? The afternoon, perhaps, of the third day inside that whale? I think when you read the account as a whole, I actually think that Jonah repented while he was on that boat. I think he actually repented when the sailors grabbed him by the shirt and were getting ready to throw him overboard. He's like, wait, 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 stop, 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 stop. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. I messed up. I I, I see the error of my own ways. I should have, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. You want me to go to Nineveh? I'll go to Nineveh. You want me to like, you know, drive out to Weston because that takes like a week to get there. I'll do it. Not a problem. Whatever it is you need me to do, I will do it. I'm sorry. I see the error of my ways. I repent. Please forgive me. And overboard he goes. And the scripture says that when he hit the water, the storm stopped at once. When that man touched the ocean, the waves stopped, the wind stopped, the rain, the thunder, the lightning, did the clouds open up? I don't know. But as he floated in that ocean, as he looked back at that boat, and he looked at the crew, and he looked at the captain, I have to imagine that every single one there just went like, ah, it's over. It's done. My God. And then the whale showed up. Think about the timeline here. Jonah said he was sorry. Jonah repented. And then the whale showed up. See, I think what he learned in that moment is is the uncomfortable truth that we talked about in the beginning, and it's that God is thorough with his discipline. You see, as Christians, there is going to come a time in your life, many, many times, where you're going to screw up, mess up, you're going to make an unwise decision, and you're going to repent. The Bible says that Jesus will always forgive you. However, as you know, sometimes in life, there are real-life consequences that follow your mistakes. And I think as Christians, we're often tempted to go to God and say, God, I repented. I'm sorry. I know I shouldn't have done that. Why does the whale still have to come? 
Why do the consequences of my actions, why do they still have to come? And I'm going to tell you why. Because God knows something that every parent in this room knows. That when a child rebels, that when we rebel, if the consequences are removed, then we'll never learn. As parents, you know this. God knows this. If we're going to learn, unfortunately, sometimes we're going to have to associate rebellion with just a little bit of pain. And that's confusing for us. It's confusing because we often mistake and confuse punishment for consequences. But they're different because our punishment from God was taken by Jesus on that cross. We're not dealing with punishment anymore. We're dealing with discipline. And discipline is an entirely different thing. God disciplines us in this life not to punish us, but to win us back, to bring us back, and most importantly, I believe, to protect us in the future. Parents, isn't it true for you that one of the main reasons you discipline your children is to protect them? Because you love them. And God loves us. And God knew that Jonah, he needed that whale. And you know what your kids need. And your parents knew what you needed. And it got me thinking. It's just about parental discipline. And I was sort of thinking about my own life as I was writing this. And I was like, all right, what did, what did discipline look like in the Grippa household? And when I grew up, discipline came in two stages. Stage one, as I knew it, was the whistle. Okay? Now, my dad had this whistle that he did, and I, I can almost do it, but it doesn't have the same gravitas. And I'll see if I can mimic it for you. It sounded something like this. Let me see if I can do it. That's it, right there. But way louder and way more wind. And I knew when I heard that whistle, I had already crossed the point of no return. Because then came stage two. And with my dad, there was no spanking. Okay? There was no slapping. There was no belt or you southerners. There was no switch involved. Okay? What my dad used, the CIA would classify it as psychological warfare. Come here, he would say, come here. Talk to you real quick, come here. Really calmly, just like this. Look me right in the eyes, which were, at this point were filled with tears. Let me talk to you. If you don't, come here. If you don't get your act together, life as you know it will end. For the rest of my life, I will never forget this word. And to this day, I don't know what that means, okay? And I never wanted to find out. And for the rest of my formative years, as a preteen, as a teenager, I mean, honestly, even to this day, okay, whenever I'm about to do something unwise, whenever I was with friends who were about to do something stupid, I would ask myself, is this unwise thing worth having life as you know it end? <laughs> Generally speaking, no, it's not. And so I choose to make the right decision. I chose not to run from the will of my dad. But this is why God sent the whale into Jonah's life, because he needed to give him a consequence that he would never forget. And for the rest of his life, he would remember that whale, and it would always drive him back to the Father. Now, Jonah, in this journal, he describes what it was like being inside of that whale for three days and three nights. He says this, the waters closed over me, just pitch black. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountain. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates lock shut forever. Haven't you, in your darkest moment, felt something like this, just completely overwhelmed by your circumstances? 
He says, he continues, as my life was slipping away. He thought he was going to die. I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you. And the next thing that he says is absolutely brilliant. In one line, he distills down the entire experience of running from God. And he says it like this. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Do you know what I think he's saying? I think he's saying that when you run from God, it's because you're running to something or to someone or to some lifestyle. And that when you finally embrace that thing that you're pursuing, when you finally embrace that thing that you ran to when you ran to God, that thing that you sacrificed everything for, you sacrificed your friends and your family, maybe you sacrificed your morals, when you finally get your hands on that thing that you ran to, when you ran to God, you realized it wasn't what you thought it would be. That when you hold that worthless idol, as Jonah called it, you realized that it wasn't worth what you gave up to get it. And in that moment, you learn something that every runner learns when they've run for too long. And it's this, that runners no longer experience the love of God. Now, I want to make sure we don't misunderstand this because the Bible is clear. You can never outrun the love of God. God will never leave you nor forsake you. But, and this is a big but, you can absolutely disconnect yourself in such a way, to such a degree that you just don't feel that love anymore because you've run from it, because you've traded experiencing the love of God for a worthless idol. Now, the reason Jonah calls it a worthless idol, the reason he knows it's a worthless idol in your life, because when you reach the end of your rope, when you were in the darkest moment of your life, when you were in great despair and great trouble, you did not cry out to that thing that you ran to when you ran from God. You didn't cry out to that affair. You didn't cry out to that bottle of booze. You didn't cry out to that shady business deal. You cried out to the Lord. Because I believe that every single one of us, deep down, knows that the most valuable thing that we have in this life is knowing that the Heavenly Father knows us loves us, cares about us, and is taking care of us. Verse 10. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. The Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up. Same message. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. And this time, Jonah obeyed. I bet he did. What we learn here is that we serve a God of second chances, of third chances, of fourth chances. We serve a God who will literally pursue you to the ends of the world. We serve a God who will do whatever it takes, whatever he has to do in order to win you back. Because he loves you. And that's why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. So, What's the practical? 
What do you do with a message like this? If it is your first time at Downtown Harbor Church, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. But this week I want to do something a little different, something we haven't really done before. Last week, if you were here, the practical that I gave you was a question. And I'd asked you to prayerfully contemplate this question throughout this last week. And the question I asked was this, are you on the run? When you look at the list that we went over in the beginning of the message, did you see yourself anywhere? Have you told yourself that God doesn't exist? Have you adjusted your theology in a way so that you could just do whatever it is that you want to do? Have you walked away from church because you got burned? Or are there issues in your life that you're just saying, God, keep your hands off? Is it an attitude? Is it your thought life? I don't know what's going on in your life right now. But for the next few minutes as Christina and, and Christian close out the service in a song, what I want to do is I just want to create some space <clears throat> for those of you who are tired of running. I just want to create some space for those of you who, who are exhausted from the storms of life, who are exhausted from resisting God's will in your life. who would look at that thing that you ran to when you ran from God only to learn that it's nothing but a worthless idol. If that's you, for the next few moments as they sing, in your chair, in your own way, between you and God, I want to challenge you to wave that white flag, to surrender yourself to the one who loves you, to the one who is chasing you down, to win you back, to bring you back. I want you to make this moment and this song on this Sunday in this church a memory marker in your life for when you decided that you weren't going to run anymore. And as Jonah tells us, when you cry out to the Lord, he will answer. Let me pray for you. Dear Jesus, Lord, only you truly know what's going on inside of our hearts and inside of our lives. You know the way in which we have run from you. God, but I pray right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would touch each and every single person in this room. Lord, that you would illuminate the areas in their life that they are struggling with. Perhaps, Lord, it's even their entire life that they have run away from you. I pray that in this moment, you would give them the courage to wave that white flag, to say, I surrender my will to your will, Lord, because as the Scripture says, Lord, you want the best for us. You love us, and you have a plan for our life. Be with us today, Lord Jesus. Give us the power to do this. Help us, Lord, to turn back to you. And we know, we know that you will hear our cry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.